Hello again to everyone. I'm thankful for another opportunity to get to study and look into the Word of God. We're sorry we didn't have an uh, episode come out last week. We pressed for time. Seems like the beast and the dragon try to squeeze every ounce of time and energy that you have out of you and leave you with nothing. And certainly that's the way our enemy, the devil, works. And We certainly ran out of time last week. That's our fault. We apologize for that. But we're thankful to get to be back with you this week and study Elijah in 1 Kings. And we are in chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Last time we looked at Elijah's prayer and God's answer from heaven. God sent fire and consumed the sacrifice, the stones of the altar, the water, the dust of the ground. God sent a fire that consumed everything, showing his pleasure with the sacrifice that Elijah had made. And Elijah ordered the prophets of Baal to be slain. You know, I realize that to a lot of people today that seems harsh, but that is God's judgment against the deceit of the devil and those that spread his deceit. It's best for man to rid the land of deceivers, <clears throat> and certainly God's going to do that in the end and in the final judgment, and that's what Elijah does here. All of those prophets of Baal that had come to this contest uh, they're slain and the land is rid of them. Their lies, uh, they won't live to tell another lie or deceive another soul. So after the sacrifice and the answer from God and the slaying of the prophets, in verse 41 now is where we'll pick up, And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So remember now, it's been three and a half years since it's rained. Elijah now tells Ahab, go and eat and drink in peace because the rain is coming. God is going to send rain. Now we see language like this in a couple other places. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse number 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. And again in Haggai chapter 2 verse 18, consider now from this day and upward from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day I will bless you. So God's blessing upon the people there uh, in both places is a type and a shadow of God's pleasure with their actions. When man is willing to come to the gospel, to the terms of the word of God, in obedience to the Lord, God is willing to bless them for their obedience. And Elijah saying, Ahab, go eat and drink. The rain's coming. God is pleased with what's went on here. God has proven that he is God and that Baal is false. He's, he's not real. He's not a God. He's in the mind and in the thoughts of man. Man has come up with that. 
but Baal has no power. God's proven that. God is pleased that the deceivers have been slain and the land is rid of these prophets of Baal. And because of that, God is now going to send rain. Ahab, you can go eat and drink in peace because God is going to answer the prayer. He's finally going to send rain, and not just a little, not a little shower, but an abundance of rain. You know, we talked a little last time, I believe, how that God set up the earth to water itself. Uh, The sun, the heat, draws through evaporation the water from the seas and from the uh, ground, to carries it up to heaven. The heavens bring it over the land and, and waters the earth. Well, I believe here you can see that. Elijah dumped 12 barrels of water around his sacrifice. God licked that up with the fire from heaven. That water evaporated and went up to heaven, and God's going to water the land by the sacrifice of Elijah. And you know, that's how that the church, those that are born again, that's how they're blessed today. God accepted the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, and because of that offering, we have the blessing of salvation and the Spirit of God. And it's all hinged on that work. So in 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. So Elijah tells Ahab to go eat and drink, and I I don't think we ought to make light of this. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Ahab, right here, at this time and at this point, believed what the man of God was telling him. He believed what Elijah said, and he obeyed what Elijah said. Now, isn't that amazing? Here's a man, Ahab, who in just a few more verses is going to be the enemy of the man of God again. And yet at this time, he's convinced that Elijah is telling him the truth. Isn't it amazing how that man today can look at the gospel, the word of God, the Lord passed by in a mighty way in a service, and we believe that the Lord is true, that the word of God is true, maybe even would say, well, this man, he is a man of God. He is a preacher of the gospel. And then, just a little while after, when the, <clears throat> when the Spirit's not around, the man of God, the church, the gospel, is back to being our enemy again. Well, that's what happens when there's no true obedience from the heart or faith in the heart. Elijah seemed uh, called fire down by prayer and God sent it and Ahab seen that. Ahab seen an answer and you talk about a miraculous answer. That's exactly what this was. 
Ahab seen that and it convinced him for a moment that this was the truth. And I believe people come to the house of God, they hear the gospel, they're convinced that the word of God is the truth and as soon as they get out the back door, the devil has come and stolen that from them and they're right back to the foolishness that they were believing beforehand. Ahab right here believes what Elijah's saying and he's willing to obey, but as soon as he heads back towards Jezreel, back to his palace, the devil comes and steals that out of his heart and he counts Elijah to be his enemy once again and they're going to be angry because the prophets of Baal have been slain. But Ahab here went up to eat and drink and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. So he's going to go up to a place of privacy to pray unto God. So you think about privacy now. In Matthew chapter 14, and we'll look at a few places here. Matthew 14 and verse number 23. And when he, this is Jesus, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. So the Lord Jesus there in Matthew 14, he goes up to the mountain separate from everybody else, to pray unto God. In Luke chapter 6, verse number 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. In Acts chapter 10, so there's the Lord Jesus praying in private. In Acts chapter 10, verse number 9, on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So here, the Lord Jesus, Peter, and we could look at several more examples through the scripture, but they go to a place of privacy to pray unto God. And you know, uh, I don't, I'm not against in the least bit, and I don't want anybody to think so, praying together at the church, having an altar of prayer down at the house of God. That's perfect and well and good and in order, I believe. But there's got to be time as well where we set apart and that from the world and from the deeds of the world, from people and those around us, that we set apart time privately to pray unto God. Elijah's not going to pray in public. Now, he had just prayed before the prophets of Baal, before all of the people, and before Ahab, and God answered by fire mightily the prayer of Elijah. But here, Elijah's going to go up to the mountaintop apart. He's going to go up to a place that's private, and, and I believe this is the case. If we're not careful when we pray around other people, we begin in our mind and our heart to think about other people that may hear us and what we're saying, and we fashion our prayer to be pleasing to those that are right around us as we pray. And our heart and our mind is not truly centered upon communicating with Almighty God. Now, when the Spirit of God is present and in power upon our lives as we pray, we can get above that. But you know, it's a real struggle 
when things are going on around us and we're trying to pray unto God to focus our mind and heart upon talking and communing with God. So we've got to get apart from all that's going on if we're truly going to pray. You know, there's many times, and I guess I'm, I've got a bad habit, but Morgan will be talking and my mind will be way off in glory somewhere. And she'll say, are you listening to me? And I'm hearing it, but I'm not hearing because my mind is focused in another place on something else. And so that's the way we can be in prayer if we're not very careful. He says as well in Matthew chapter 6, here he's teaching the disciples to pray. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and the religious folks, they're praying in public and they're doing it for one purpose, that others might look at them and say, look at, look at those people, look at him, look at her, watch the way they pray, look at how good people that they are. They done it to be seen, to shine unto men. They wanted the glory, the honor, and the praise of men and their heart was not upon communing with God. What the Lord Jesus says, they have their reward. They wanted the praise and the attention of men, and they got it for the most part. They received the praise and the attention of men for praying like they did out in public, but they were not heard of God. So the question is, what is our desire? Would we desire to be heard of God or to receive the praise of men? Whatever we're seeking in our heart, that's what we're going to get. But we're not going to have both. So he says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut the, thy door, pray to the Father, which is in secret, concealed. There's no, when we go into the closet, and I'm not saying that we have to go in a closet and shut the door. I'm not saying we have to go up high on some mountaintop away from everybody to pray. I'm not saying we have to do like Peter and go to the housetop and pray. Daniel went into his house and opened the window towards Jerusalem to pray. So all of these things, these are not a, a, a laid out plan of how I need to do, but it's the the, the spiritual meaning behind it that we need to see. We're going in and shutting the door, shutting everything out of our mind, everything out of our heart. All of the distraction is gone. The attention of other men is gone that our flesh would desire to impress. And the only thing that we're trying to do is commune and get in touch with Almighty God. That's what's on our mind. That's what's on our heart. That's our desire, and that's what we're laboring to do. That's the place that we need to get to if we're going to pray. And he says, The Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So that's the reward that we ought to be seeking, the answer of God by the Spirit. And I, I do believe that it's the Spirit of God that we pray for 
that we seek for, and the Spirit of God is always the answer to the prayer. Though we may be looking for something to happen, we may be looking for someone to come under conviction, we may be looking for God to pass by our service, the Spirit of God is always the answer to every one of those. God works, moves, and stirs. He heals, he calls, he draws, he saves and he changes and he makes new creatures. He blesses us with a gospel, blesses us with a testimony. All of that work of God on the earth is performed by the Spirit of God. God is going to complete his work here by the Spirit. And so in Luke, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says, your father knows how to give the spirit to them that ask for it. What ought we to seek for? We ought to seek for God's spirit upon our service, upon the preacher, upon the church, upon our lives, that the power of God could rest on us. So maybe that's a sidebar from what we were looking at. But when you pray, go into your closet, shut the door. Elijah, Elijah was a man of power. The Lord Jesus was the Son of God. Peter was the first of the disciples. And they all went apart to pray. So what do you reckon we ought to do? We're going to have to separate from the world and labor to commune with the Lord Jesus. It's hard enough getting out of the flesh and the carnal mind alone, much less with everything else going on round about us. We'll have to go shut the door, shut those things out, that we might be able to pray unto God. So he went to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. So Elijah's going to bow down in the dust and in the dirt of the earth with his head between his knees. So what's the, the message there? Well, there is an humbleness. And let's, let's look in just a, a few different scriptures. We'll turn kind of quickly through some of these. But in Genesis chapter 24, verse number 52, And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. So bowing in worship, in honor, and in glory. I'm going to lower myself down to the level of the ground that God might be exalted and honored. I'm showing that God is greater than me and worthy of my glory and honor and praise. In Joshua chapter number 7 and verse number 6, and Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until eventide. He and the elders of Israel put dust on their heads. So here they had had Achan's trespass. They had went to battle and was defeated. And he's coming before God in fear and in reverence. And there he bows himself to the earth He's putting ashes and sackcloth on. He is showing reverence unto God and unto his power and unto his authority. These folks aren't coming to God demanding that the Lord do something, but they're coming to worship. They're coming with reverence. 
in Ezra, chapter number 9, verse number 6. And I said, O oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is grown up to the heavens. So here they're coming in shame. They bow their head because they're ashamed of how sorry that they were. And it would be good if we would be more ashamed of how we treat, how we think of, and how we serve God in this world. But Ezra says, I, I, I'm ashamed to even look up. I'm burying my face in the ground, ashamed to look towards heaven and look towards God because of my iniquities and my trespasses that we've committed. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse number 3, And I set my face unto the Lord God, to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So here is a desire to get in touch with God. And Daniel desired that his prayer would be heard. So Daniel is worshiping, reverencing, and bowing in shame towards Almighty God, all because he's got a desire to come to the Lord. And if you remember the Lord's prayer in Matthew there, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So there, in the very beginning of that prayer, he is worshiping and honoring the name of God that sitteth upon the throne of all the earth. And so there is how we should approach to God. He bows with his head between his knees. I realize that that's the posture that maybe is most popular in prayer. When we think of praying, we think of those praying hands and being bowed upon our knees to the earth. And, you know, maybe that's become tradition in a lot of ways. But it's the, the message behind it. You know, I can come and bow and still yet be proud in my heart and not be heard of God. It's more than just bowing, and that's the answer. That's how God's going to hear my prayer, but it's the, the meaning that's behind that. Elijah did bow, and Daniel did bow. Joshua did bow. Abraham did bow down, and Abraham's servant bowed down. But it wasn't that outward act of bowing that was pleasing to God. It's that in their heart they were worshiping, reverencing, and coming with desire to please God. So that's why in Psalms, he that's of a broken heart and a broken and a contrite spirit. And again, he says in the word of God that he desires truth in the inward parts. It's the inward man that God's looking to. But you know, when, when our inward man is joyous, you can see that in the flesh. That, that's reflected. When our heart is broken from a loss, you can see that in the outward man, in the flesh. And so when we're coming in reverence, I believe you can see that in the outward man as well. Does that mean we have to bow? I realize there's folks that physically 
are not able to bow, whether it's health problems or old age, whatever that it may be. It's not the physical bowing, but it's that spiritual humbleness, desire to come before God, have our prayers heard. So he bows with his face between his knees in worship, in reverence, in shame, and in desire, and he's going to pray for rain. Now, he said just a few verses back in his prayer to God, God, I want you to answer this and let them know that I've been acting at your command. So it's already been manifested that God's telling Elijah what to do. It wasn't Elijah that decided, well, it's time to leave the widow's house. It wasn't Elijah that thought, well, why don't I get everybody together up here on the mountain for a sacrifice and for a little contest. That wasn't Elijah's uh, thinking or doing. He was following the direction and the commandment of God. So certainly then, here, the rain coming, that's not Elijah's flippant decision. Well, I think I'm going to go pray and get rain to come back now. But he's following the direction of God. And God promised in the beginning that he would send rain again. And yet, though he's following God's direction, and though he's doing what God commanded him, and though God promised to send rain, yet Elijah is going to pray that God would send this rain. Isn't that something? I think today in our hearts and in our minds, and we said it when Elijah repaired the altar, that the first thing the devil would like to take is our prayer. And if he can get the prayer life gone, he's pretty well got us. See, prayer, there's not a lot of value put on praying unto God today. And I, I, I'm not accusing. It, I, I fight that battle as well. There's not a lot of value, not a lot of time given to pray. Well, we just don't need to pray. Well, that's, that's a lie of the devil. Elijah knows there's rain coming. God's promised that he's going to send it. And yet, Elijah's going to go pray. And Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah chapter 10, verse number 1. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. What does Zechariah say? The word of God says to pray to God. God, who's in control of all things, is it wrong to pray to God that there would be rain upon the crops? Now, I, I believe this, and let's, let's be clear here. I believe that there's very important things to pray about, things that's less important to pray about. But he says in Zechariah, ask the Lord rain in the time of rain. What ought we to pray for? We ought to pray for all things. We ought to pray for God's hand, his leadership, his blessing, his favor, upon all things and every facet 
of our life because outside of God, what have we got? We're left without. We're left with nothing. In Philippians chapter number four, and I realize Zechariah's Old Testament, and sometimes, and shamefully so, sometimes the Old Testament is written off as well, that's Old Testament, even though it's still the Word of God. It's the Word of God. So in Philippians chapter 4, and while I'm right there, let's just sidebar for a minute. I realize the Old Testament is the Old Testament. And the ceremonies and the rituals and the sacrifices, all of that's been done away with in the outward going through it. But the Word of God is not out of date, and it's not done away with. There's just a new interpretation in the New Testament. It's no longer about a Passover lamb out of my flock in the yard, but I can go and read that, and it's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So, no, the Old Testament Word of God is not cast out today. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, be careful for nothing. So that word careful there, it means to be anxious, to have anxiety. So have anxiety for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So God says, anything that you're anxious about, don't be anxious and don't have anxiety, but pray about it unto God. Go shut yourself in the door and with prayer and supplication. So prayer there, that word means worship. Supplication, it means to honor. So here we are, we're worshiping and honoring God in prayer and we're making our requests known unto God. We're letting God to know where we are, what's troubling us, what's happening in our life, and I realize God already knows all of it. He does. But that does not mean that I do not need to pray. God knew that I was a sinner and needed to be saved. And yet I still had to go to the altar and admit that unto God before the church. So if I hadn't went to the altar... If I had not admitted that, if I had not confessed that unto God, would I have got saved? No, there was a part that was left that I needed to do. Well, there's that for us in this life in prayer as well. God knows what you and I need, but God, he, he calls for me and for you to get down on our knees in prayer and let him know about our life. God knew very well in Hezekiah's day the letter that Sennacherib had sent to him. God knew all about that. And yet Hezekiah went down and laid that before the Lord and said, Lord, look at what I've got. Look at what's troubling me. That's what God wants us to do. Let our requests be made known unto God with thanksgiving. Thankful unto God for his mercy and his grace. So God's going to work, but he uses the church in so many ways by the Spirit to accomplish that work. God's going to have, I, I believe this, 
Lord willing, and time lasts till Sunday. And even tonight, we set these on Wednesday mornings. On Wednesday night, there's going to be churches that's going to gather. God's going to have the gospel to go out and be wonderful. If somewhere in our world, somebody would hear in their heart and be saved, that'd be a wonderful thing. God's going to get his word out to his church and to his people at churches tonight and on Sunday. And yet, we're not going to sit and be quiet and wait on the Lord to speak it. No, he's going to accomplish that through a man that he's called and equipped for that work. Well, here, sure God's the, God's the worker of it. God's the one that's going to accomplish it. But the church, the people of God are there making their requests known unto God. In 2 Timothy, I believe we can see this plainly. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. But the word of God is not bound. So he's calling to mind to Timothy. Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ, who came from David, was resurrected from the dead. And according to my gospel, that's what I've been preaching. What I preach is the Lord Jesus crucified and resurrected for the salvation of men. But you know what he is? He's been cast in prison and he suffered trouble because of the gospel that he's preaching. But he's enduring that. He's in prison. He's suffering for the gospel but, verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Who's going to save them? Well, they're God's elect. God's going to save them. God's going to draw them. God's going to change them. But you know what Paul's doing? He's enduring, he's laboring, and he's preaching the gospel because God's going to use Paul to save some of them. God's going to use the church to save them that are lost as well. They're going to come through the church. They're going to come through the gospel. So, though it may seem unnecessary, why? God's going to send rain. There's no need in praying for that. God's going to be there. He's going to pass by our service Wednesday. There's no need to pray for that. God knows these people need saved. There's really no need to pray for that. God knows my life and there's no need to pray to him and tell him about it. Well, all of that is the lies of the devil. God says to pray. And so we ought to pray. And we'll pick up right there next time. We've got some more scriptures about praying, the importance of it. Uh, and, and that's where we'll start next time. I'm thankful for the opportunity to look back into the Word of God again. Thankful to be back with you I, again. I'm sorry we missed a week uh, there, but we're, we're glad to be back and, and hope to not miss a week again for a very long time. We love you. Hope you have a wonderful week and pray for us.